Stand with me today. We're going to do our declaration together. I'm going to read Pastor's text and we'll pray. I just want, it's going to, you might feel that this is kind of weird, but would you just raise your right hand and just make a fist in victory? Let's say this together with faith and victory today. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Give God praise. Today is a breeding ground for miracles in Jesus' name. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. And this is what it says. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village. There met him ten that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when, we, when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, shew yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, saying, We're not ten cleansed, but there are nine. There are not found Return." And give glory to God. Save this stranger. And he said to them, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee well. Let us pray. Lord, today by faith we declare that you are moving. We acknowledge you, God. We walk in your victory. I pray you would move on our pastors. You would speak through him today, God. Direct him and guide him, Jesus. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How exciting is what's taking place here today. I'm excited to hear what the Lord is doing or what the Lord is taking place in the worship. And I'm going to be preaching a sequel to last week. The Lord's laid that upon my heart. And I was going to do a little prank on old Zach. Zach's always getting me around the office. And a few weeks ago, he read a text and it was wrong. And I kind of picked on him and everybody's been picking on him. And I thought, you know what I think I'll do this Sunday is give him my text and give him the wrong one on purpose. Amen. But I didn't do it. I was kind today. How many knows it's very important how that we communicate? Communication is very important. It's very important how I communicate to you and how you communicate to me as a congregation. So when I'm out here preaching, trying to communicate to me, even if I'm bombing, would you say amen, hallelujah? Would you give me a little bit of initiative to try to do better? Amen. And, uh, you know, it's so important to communicate. And we're going to be uh, having our Christmas play, as you all know. And one of the big things that we do is try to gather all the people that we can in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things we want you to know is that our ushers are going to be uh, handing these cards out to you on your way out. These are not for you to keep. These are for you to give to somebody. They're an actual invitation to the program. So please make sure you give them away. Make sure you find us a, a so that might be interested that you've prayed over and give it to them and invite them so that every time they see it, it'll be a reminder to them. Amen. But it is important how that we communicate. 
Something took place here a few uh, weeks ago. The men were all up here working on the set, and Chuck Lambert was in charge of it. And when he got done, they all went over to the Metro to eat. And they all gathered in there, and the men put all their belts off and their hammers down and their tools down and began to reminisce and about what the play was going to be about and relax and eat and fellowship. And all of a sudden, the phone rang, and Chuck Lambert picked it up and said, Hello. And on the other end was this beautiful little voice that said, Hey, babe, I want to ask you a favor. They got that mink stroll that I really wanted on sale. And you, I know you don't really want me to have it. It was $500. But they got it down to $400. And they said, It'll never get down this low again. And if, if you'd let me have it, it'll be my Christmas present. And Chuck, oh, okay, you're worth it. You just go ahead and get that mink stroll. And even though it costs $400, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and get it. Well, thank you so much. Well, now, since you're generous, I went by the Ford place, and that Lincoln that we've been looking at, that we're $15,000 of dollars apart on, that guy did tell me that he'd come down another $500 if that would help. Well, I tell you, if you want that Lincoln, make sure if you get a Lincoln, though, you get all the bells and the whistles. I don't want anything. Unless it's got all the bells and the whistles on it of that kind of a thing. You just go ahead and pick out the color and get what you want. Really? Yeah. So then she well, now, let me ask you one more thing. You know that house that we put an offer on, they turned down? Yeah. Well, you know, it went under contract, but the contract fell through. They couldn't get the loan. That guy called me and said, it's available again, but you're going to have to meet that price. Would you be interested in that? Well, you just go ahead and sign that contract said, we need a new house. You just go ahead and get that house, and, and everything will be okay. And when they got done, he hung up the phone, and all the men were looking around. Bud, Bud Middleton's jaw was just way down here like this. And, they, and everybody was quiet, and finally one guy had the nerve and said, Chuck, you mean you treat May like that all the time? He said, May? That wasn't May. I don't know who it was. Whose phone is this anyway? You better know who's talking on your behalf. Amen? Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Something strange happened to me this week. I was studying and I got my message already and I'd been deer, I'm wanting to go deer hunting this week and, and I, so I studied way in advance to get my messages done so I wouldn't have to be studying out in the deer woods and many, many times I've took my Bible out to the deer stand and be studying and, and you wouldn't believe some of the things that's happened to me trying to study and shoot a deer at the same time. That don't go around good. But nevertheless, I got my sermon all done and I thought, man, I'm going to get to deer hunt only to walk in and the Lord changed my sermon. And so then I had to start all over, and it just started coming. And this sermon is, just came to me just like that. So we believe that the Lord is going to do something here today. Do you believe that? I said, do you believe that? Amen. You know, this Thursday we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving Day. And Thanksgiving Day is a day set aside for just the giving of thanks. That's what we're supposed to do. And this morning I want to talk to you about the importance of Thanksgiving just for a few moments. And so often we believers express our thankfulness through the giving of thanks in the form of our worship to God. And you have done marvelous here in the worship today. Worship is a time of the lifting up of our hearts and hands up to God in gratitude and thanksgiving to Him for what He's done. And could you do that just one more time? 
time. Just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. With thanksgiving and gratitude, uh, lifting your hands and your hearts and giving him praise offerings, glorifying his name for everything that he's done within your life because he's done so much. And worship and thanksgiving is one of the most important things that you and I can do. And we see this in the parable actually of the ten lepers. Uh, Jesus was going through Samaria and Galilee and he was going to Jerusalem and he passed by a certain village. It doesn't tell us what village that was, but here he met ten lepers. And according to the Bible, these lepers stood afar off. And the reason being, it was due to the law pronouncing them unclean. They were the outcast of society. They were the estranged and misfits. They were to abstain from public gatherings altogether. It was a law that they had to remain to themselves. Many of them lived together in colonies and many of them lived together in caves and different places. And when they would begin to walk even out in the countryside and people would get close to them, the law made them cover themselves up and they would put their hand over their face and they would say, unclean, unclean, unclean to let the people know that they were lepers because leprosy was very contagious. So the people would go around them and they would not have any involvement with these lepers whatsoever. But these 10 lepers cried out and said to Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. And what I like about this scripture, aren't you glad that God hears from afar off? Because here they were, they were not close to Jesus at all. They were standing afar off by the law. They had to, they could not come around him. And they were crying out, unclean, unclean. But then they said, Master, have mercy. They're screaming from the top of their lungs because they were quite a distance from him. I'm glad that he hears from afar off because the book of Ephesians 2.13 says, You who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were estranged. We were alienated from God. But God heard our beck and cry while we were were afar off out in our sin and he heard us and brought us in and redeemed us and made us a part of his family. I'm glad that God hears from afar off. But upon hearing the plea and the cry for mercy Jesus said to them, you go your soul yourself to the priest. And Jesus told them to do this because under the law only the priest could pronounce them cleansed. And the Bible says in Luke 17 and verse 14 it says, and it came to pass that as they went they were healed. Now I've never seen this in the literal text before. The is the first time that I've ever paid attention to this, but I love what is what is uh, implied in this verse of scripture. I always thought that when they showed themselves to the priest, it was then that they were cleansed. I thought that when they got to the priest, the priest would say, you're cleansed and by his command that they would be healed like in a Pentecostal service. But that is not what happened. Uh, you know, we always, at least I always thought that. You may have seen it before I've ever seen it, but after 30 some years of study, I never really paid attention to that verse 14. But verse 14, this scripture actually implies that as they went, they were healed. Before they ever even got to the priest, I want you to know they were already healed because I want you to understand the cleansing started the moment that obedience started. With each step that they took toward that priest, the more cleansing effect took place. For example, here they are, full leprosy. And the minute that he said, go show yourself to the priest, the minute they stepped in the direction to go, that one step brought a little bit of cleansing. The next step brought a little bit more of cleansing. The next step made them a little bit more cleanse. And the next step, and the further they got, and the closer they became to the priest, the more cleanse they got. And by the time they got before the priest, the priest looked at them and thought, why are you here? You do not have leprosy. He pronounced them as cleansed. Now that is very unique in scripture. This shows us that there is a process sometimes to our healing. Do not get discouraged if healing does not come immediately. This is a 
prophetic word for somebody here today. Don't be discouraged just because last week you come up here one time and you prayed and others were healed and you were not. That does not mean that you're not going to be healed. God sometimes allows delays in order to be able to bring about the best work in your life. Healing sometimes is a progress. Sometimes it happens gradually or it develops in stages and it, and it proceeds step by step. And the question then is, is it possible to be partially healed but not totally healed due to us not falling all the way through in obedience? If each step brings about healing, what happens if we stop too short? It means that we're not totally healed but we're partially healed. And we see in scriptures that there was a man one time that was partially healed and Jesus had to pray for him a second time. But it's no different than that of a natural healing. A person goes to the doctor over a problem and the doctor diagnoses his problem and gives him a prescription for medication. And with that medication and that prescription comes instructions on how that you're supposed to take that medicine. And with each new day that you follow the instructions and take your medicine, you begin to get a little bit better. But there are many who start following the instructions because they get better, they get off course in obeying the conditions of the script and the instructions of the medicine and what happens too often that they revert back to the place that they once were because they did not follow all the way through in obedience. Now listen to me folks, God's speaking to this congregation. Too often when circumstances change in our lives, we then revert back to our former condition and behavior which aborts progress. How many times has God allowed something to shake you to your very foundation? How many times have you got bad news? How many times has something happened to your children or to your family or to you? How, when is it when you've got bad news all of a sudden it shakes you to your very foundation? And it's then that you get closer to God. It's then you pray more, you read more, you go to church more, you start doing all the right things that you know you're supposed to do. But then when those things begin to lighten and when things begin to change, things to begin to get better, if we're not careful, we'll revert right back to our old lifestyle and we never learned anything in what God was trying to accomplish in our lives. Are you listening to me? God is speaking to us here real loudly here today. One example is when you take an antibiotic. You have to run the, the, it has to run its course. You cannot stop an antibiotic too soon. My wife preached to me that, that over and over and over. I'd get sick with strip throat, go to get a, uh, some medicine, come back. Three days, I'd feel better. I'd stop taking the medicine. She says, it's not going to do you no good. You got to take it all. If you don't take it all, honey, I feel better. I don't care that you feel better. I don't like that. You got to go all the way through it. And she just preaches and preaches and preaches. Sure enough, after a few days, you know what she comes and tells me? Told you so. Told you so. Because I'm sick again. And the problem of it is in the body of Christ a lot of times, we set out wanting to do good because something shaked us to our foundation only for us to get better and never really follow through in the things that God's really trying to develop or change in our lives. Hello? God help me preach. Though we improve, yet these, there are times we're not totally healed due to us not following through in obedience. Many would think this is a form of works. It's like trying to earn your healing. That's not so. It is not a form of works. It's a form of obedience. And there's a difference. Healing is in, the, healing is in a set procedure. If you want to be healed, then you've got to follow the command. God sent his word to heal us according to Psalms 107 verse 20. Healing's not only physical healing, but it's mental, physically, emotionally, financially, all kinds of ways of being healed. And God sent his word. And if you're going to be healed, you've got to follow the commands of the word. 
Amen? If you want to be brought to a place of healing, then follow the instructions that God lays out before you. And you, you know what? You may have two people with identical cases. One may have cancer in the breast and another one have cancer in the breast. And God give totally two different instructions of how to handle it. Come on, this is an individual thing. The word obedience means compliance to an order, request, or law. Submission to another's authority. Naaman, you remember him in the Old Testament had leprosy? He had to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River before he was healed of his leprosy. Six times would not do. The difference between law and grace, listen to this, is under grace the ten lepers were cleansed as they went. Under law, Naaman had to follow through completely before benefits were bestowed upon him. Listen to this. Under grace, strength comes to help you to obey. Under law, strength doesn't come until you do obey. Which is the greater? Are you getting it? Let me slow down a little bit. Under grace, strength comes to help you to obey the command that God gives you. Under law, strength doesn't come until you do obey. Grace gives initiative. It gives you power or the opportunity to act or to take charge. God never gives you a command that he doesn't give you the divine ability to do it under grace. God will never tell you to do something that he's not going to empower you to do. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. Law demands it has to be followed through by plain old grit, by self-reliance. I got to just muster it up and I got to do it on myself. But grace says you don't have to do it by yourself. Grace says God's going to come and help do it with you. He's going to be a co-laborer with you. As a matter of fact, grace says stand to the side. It's not your battle, it's mine, saith the Lord. That's grace. Say amen. Grace helps resolve the difficult thing commanded by improving the situation and giving you help or aid to accomplish it. I love that. How many seen throughout the scripture that God has promised that when you got a dilemma, he'll come to your rescue. He'll come to your aid. Matter of fact, I love that scripture where he says he's able to succor you. That word succor means to come to your aid, to rescue, to help you in your time of need and to give you the power and the strength and the ability to overcome it. Oh, hallelujah. And let me speak something over this congregation today. We're under grace, grace, marvelous grace. There's the divine ability. There's a divine anointing upon this congregation to see this congregation through everything that it's faced with. Bad news has come to a lot of people throughout the congregation since we had that service on Sunday. I expected nothing different because it's the enemy's attack to try to make us be doubtful and fearful. And it begins to try to get a spirit of disbelief upon us. But I'm here to proclaim unto you, it doesn't matter what the enemy is saying. I declare unto you the word of the Lord today. And whose report are we going to believe? We're going to believe the report of the Lord. And the report of the Lord says you're healed by grace, by grace, by grace. There's divine ability in this place to see this congregation through. Why don't you just stand to your feet and praise him for that? Come on, praise him loudly. Amen. Amen. Praise God for grace. You may be seated. Grace gives you a fresh approach to it. Grace empowers you to obey and follow through. Grace provides divine ability. A person may live and have an excuse. A person may have an excuse under the law to not follow through. You know why? Because the law can be so grievous due to a lack of human ability that we cannot follow through or obey. It's humanly impossible. 
That's why the Bible said that God once winked at ignorance. But now he, now he doesn't wink at ignorance anymore, but commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know why? Because under the law, it was humanly impossible to do all of it. Sometimes God had to wink at ignorance. Some, you, couldn't even, you couldn't even know all the law. But grace takes away all excuses from our lives. Under law, each dip that Naaman took made no effect until all seven dips were accomplished. But under grace, if Naaman would have had leprosy under grace... Each dip that Naaman would have taken, there would have been improvement to give him the confidence to continue. I love that. Don't you? Therefore, grace would have given him divine overshadowing of divine ability, which would have given him to an initiative to finish. Grace, grace, oh marvelous grace, we sing about it. It's not just to remove sin, folks, but it's empower us to be able to obey God and live for him. That's what grace does. I do believe that we see some in the body of Christ not healed due to them not following through all the time in obedience. Obedience is a very important thing, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of what obedience is. For example, we see the man at the pool of Bethesda. We're going to visit him for a while. We're going to go away from him, and then we're going to come back to him because I've seen something here that I've never seen before, and God showed it to me just like that. First of all, it is at the pool that great multitudes of paralyzed people, blind, halt, withered, were there waiting for what they called the troubling of the waters. We see that this man was carried to this pool and was laid there every single day for 38 years. Now, you think that you get discouraged because something didn't come within a week? This man been laying there looking for a healing for 38 years. 38. Look at somebody and say 38. Amen? We see this man was waiting for a long time. The Bible says that an angel of the Lord would come down in a certain season. It would trouble the water, and that whosoever got in the water first would be healed of whatever disease that they had. In other words, there was a time the angel come down, done something to the water, and the minute that he did, the first one that got in that troubled water was healed. Jesus asked this man, hey, will thou be made whole? And the man says, hey, well, you know, I, I, I want to be made whole. And Jesus says, well, first of all, Jesus asked that question, why will thou be made whole? Because he's seen him that had been there for a long time. They'd been there for 38 years. And Jesus asked, why ain't you whole by now? What's happening to you? And the man answers him and says, sir, I have no man with the water's trouble to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another one gets in before me. In other words, I'm paralyzed. I can't get in. And when I see the water troubled, I do everything I can to get there. But by the time I get there, it's over. Somebody else has got in and robbed me of my healing. I want to tell you you something, folks. There is something about first responders that God loves. Now listen to me because God's speaking to this congregation. There are special blessings for immediate obedience. I said there are special blessings for immediate obedience. There's something about the faith of first responders that God recognizes above everybody else's faith. There's just something about that faith that doesn't need a prompting, a cheerleading squad, an emotional song, or a begging to get them to come. There's something about someone's faith that immediately responds upon hearing the word of God and the command of God and the call of God and they obey just like that. To those men and women that just act upon hearing the word of God, there seems to always be a greater amount of manifestation than any other time in the church history. God responds to those who run down to the altar of commitment more aggressively than those who have to procrastinate and think things through, analyze it, decipher it, and come on, and all of them kinds of things. There are a lot of people that balk and hesitate when it comes to spiritual matters. God's saying, quit balking, quit hesitating, because I'm going to start troubling waters around here, and you better move just like that. 
or you could miss your opportunity of healing of your physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, whatever you have. God's saying, when I stir the waters, you move. Don't sit around and wait. Don't sit around and analyze it. Don't try to sit around and see why somebody else is doing it because here's the problem. The first ones that get up here get a greater anointing and it gets lesser and lesser and lesser as the people come up. Hello? Hey, if I'm going to be healed, I want something miraculous. I want to be the first one up there. Amen? I've seen God heal those that immediately came down to an altar just like that. And as time went on, the anointing began to lighten around the altars. I've seen it a hundred times in my ministry. As a matter of fact, I've had people come to me after the service is completely over and say, it was me that I should have come up. Would you pray for me? And it's like praying against the wall. It's too late. Come on now. The anointing had lifted. The time had come and gone. And their delayed obedience cheated them out of the blessing that God had designed for them. Jesus looks at the man and he says, hey, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, if he could have done that, then he would have got himself into the water a long time ago. It looks like that Jesus is telling him to do something impossible again under grace. This man had been trying for 38 years, so what makes Jesus think something's going to be different today? What makes him think he's going to get up and walk? The difference is between law and grace again. Notice in law, the people had to get in the water by themselves, but under grace, divine ability was given where they could even bypass the water where they could just take up their bed, rise, and walk. Jesus knew that grace was among them. How did he know? Because grace and truth come by Jesus Christ, and Jesus was there. And Jesus is saying, hey, buddy, we're going to bypass the water. You're not going to have to do it like everybody else has done it. Grace stares you in the face. You'll have to go to the water by the grace and faith in me. You're going to get up, and you're going to walk. Can I have an amen? Oh, how powerful. When Jesus gives a command regarding your life, with that command comes the authority to give you the ability to do it. Amen? The story of our text doesn't only reflect healing, physical healing, but symbolically it also reveals sanctification of body, soul, and spirit. Matter of fact, this is what I like about our declaration. We will be... Uh, we will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and to those in despair. God gave us that a long time ago, and now God's really bringing it to pass. In these last few uh, months, he's beginning to speak health, healing, and wholeness over this body. You have to realize that leprosy in Scripture was symbolic of sin. Even in the Old Testament, they had to tear down houses and everything else because le leprosy grew in the walls, and it was a sign that there was an idol hidden in that wall somewhere. So we see that when God begins to deal with your sin issue, every step you take in obedience is sanctifying you and it sets you apart. Your sanctification process sometimes can be in stages or it can be an ongoing process. Some of you are struggling in some areas and I'm here to tell you how to overcome it. Sanctification can be an ongoing work in your life and the more you yield yourself in obedience, the more you become sanctified, meet, set apart for the master's use. Your deliverance sometimes is a process than it is a single act. It's a journey, and it's linked to your obedience. Hello? Each step you take in obedience sanctifies a part of your life which begins to bring, which begins to bring confidence and faith. The more obedient I become, the more confident I become. The more faith I produce. Come on. I'm helping somebody here. The longer your obedient, the longer your obedience remains, the less pull or influence or struggle or temptation and fight your flesh nature has over you. Before long, if you keep obeying, every attachment is broken off you and it's become a natural thing to obey rather than yield to the sinful desires of the flesh. 
There are times in our lives when we're just struggling, the temptation is so strong. But each step I take in obedience, the more my spirit man rises up and the more that my carnal man begins to die and begins to lose its influence. There's something about the power of obedience that God wants to talk to us about. Obedience weakens fleshly impulses. Obedience is linked to being right with God. Amen? God even told King Saul. Saul, he told him through the prophet Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. Can I tell you, what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is works. That's where we're always working, trying to please God, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. Well, going, that, that, that's not what God's after in your life. There's a difference between sacrifice and obedience. Sacrifice is works, while obedience is behavioral, it's relational. The longer you obey, the more the flesh is weakened and the grip of its influence is destroyed over your life. That's what Romans 8 and 1 says. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The more I walk in the Spirit, what does it say in Galatians 5? That if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of my flesh. So the more I'm led by the Spirit, and those that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Can I have an amen? Oh, I'm about to preach to you. I'm about to get happy. You're fixing to see 150 pounds of blubber dance across this stage. Come on, somebody help me preach. Because the more I walk in the spirit, my flesh man begins to lose its ability to deceive me and to tempt me and to try me and to pull at me in the weightiness that it does. It'll always be there to mock me and remind me, but it don't have to have that 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 attachment that is so convincing and appealing that I desire it. Come on, somebody help me preach. Obedience is the gateway to holy living. This is why that Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 2 in his address in his epistle to the scattered Christians who were scattered because of suffering and they were suffering because of persecution. Listen to his address to them. You're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Oh, I could preach. I wished I could break that stuff down. Did you hear that? You're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God foreordained you to be where you're at today. He chose you before the foundations of the world. Before you were ever even born, before you ever conceived in your mother's womb, he knew you. Oh, hallelujah. And the foreknowledge of God says, I want you to be my elect. I want you to be my chosen. And then he says, it's through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multitude. Now, when you begin to really look at that, here's the Christians, they're being suffering through persecution. They're going through trial. He tells them they're the elect. Then he says, but I want to tell you that what this persecution is doing is sanctifying you. And the more obedient that you become, the more you understand the appropriation of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the more you understand that, that peace will be multiplied to you. That in the, the end result is peace. He said, when the end result is, even though you're in the midst of persecution, God's peace is upon you by your obedience. No matter what they do, you got got a confidence. I'm godly. I'm God's, amen? It is said of Abraham in Romans chapter four that he obeyed and he staggered not at the promises of God and it was imputed unto him as righteousness. Chuck quoted that while ago. I thought, man, he's right on target. The obedience of Christ was what caused him to be able to justify the sinner. How do I know that? Philippians 2.8. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If Christ had not been obedient to the Father by going to the cross, salvation for man would have been aborted. 
Amen. He had to be obedient. Justification of life, the forgiveness of sin, the regeneration of the believer, and the gift of salvation comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Let's get that out straight. Redemption does not come by works, nor does it come by human ability to live out the law. However, the obedience to Christ is the way that the believer appropriates that salvation and lives it out through the body of his flesh. So, therefore, obedience is the manifestation of the believer's sanctified life and his sanctified spirit. It's evidence that he's saved. Amen? If faith produces evidence, salvation produces fruit. It produces evidence. And the evidence is, is that we have now a life that desires to obey God. What God has cleansed at Calvary at salvation, he now, through grace, gives you the divine ability to live it out. Amen? This is what's meant by the Apostle Paul when he wrote in the book of Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but more even in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not telling you to work out your plan of salvation. There's only one plan of salvation. So he's telling you your salvation should work out of you. It should be manifesting. Faith, endurance, love, the fruits of the Spirit. There's one thing that we have to understand, and that is this. There is more than just the physical maladies that we deal with in sickness and in sufferings. It's more than just the outward appearances. That is not sometimes the root of the problem. Come on. God does not cause sickness. How many knows that? But God does allow it, and God does use suffering to temper and to sanctify the believer's life. He uses it. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things, not some things, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are thee called according to his purpose. Everything you go through as a believer is for your benefit. Hallelujah. What is it said of Jesus? In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, 8, though he were a son, Yet learned he obedience. He learned it. Didn't come natural to him. He was fleshly. Though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things in which he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience by his suffering, how much more suffering do we need so that we can learn obedience? Woo! We're no better than our master. Your suffering involves more than just the physical evidence that manifests in your sickness. God is doing something far more greater than what appears or even can be seen. I loved what the Carson said in their testimony. It thrilled me, and I hope they don't mind me using it, and I don't hope I don't butcher it. But Roxanne and, and Brad both said, the first thing that we knew that we had to do was rededicate our lives. Well, okay, well, you know, cancer was upon them all through the body of Roxanne. From her neck down was ate up with cancer. The first thing that she felt to do was not to get rid of cancer, but to rededicate her life. Why? Because her suffering got her attention. Hello? If you receive that you've got certain diseases that's fatal, just those words can cause you immediately to begin to say, I need God. Amen? It has a way of tempering you. It has a way of getting your attention. 
And I love what they said. And then by them just beginning to seek the Lord, here is a people that was raised in a, a church that never taught anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Good Christian people, but they had no knowledge whatsoever of tongues, interpretations, and gifts, or healing, or anything that, that wasn't taught, wasn't believed in. And yet, as they begin to dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ, and as they begin to seek God and His will for their lives, guess what happened? While they're looking for healing for cancer, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I will almost be glad to say that if they would have continued in the path that they were in, they would have never been filled with the Holy Spirit if they had never faced cancer. Woo, y'all got quiet on me. They might have not even ever really rededicated their lives to the full extent of where they needed to if it wasn't for some kind of trauma that shocked them in the reality that there's something missing in our lives. Come on, somebody help me preach. I'm here to tell you, quit getting bent out of shape with what's coming upon you and rejoice. I said rejoice. God ain't left you. He ain't abandoned you. It ain't him causing it. But the devil may be trying to afflict and trying to come against you. All hell may be coming against you, but it's okay. God's entrusted you with it. And if God's entrusted you with it, he'll give you the divine grace to see you through it. And you're going to come through without the smell of smoke on your clothes. God, help me preach. Well, glory! Woo! Woo! Let me have a moment. God's building this place to be a place of faith. We'll not have the faith that we need to produce miracles if we can't go through things and receive miracles for ourselves. Somebody's here today more than one, and you're in a terrible place. Huh. God set you up for a miracle. You can't receive miracles if you're not in the need of one. God knows exactly how to handle this. In the case of our text, God was sanctifying lepers by their willingness to learn obedience. He was not only dealing with leprosy, but he was dealing with some sin issues of those 10 men. Not always, but many times. Not always, but many times sickness or disease is linked to spiritual maladies instead of physical. They've done studies where they have shown that some disease is linked to bitterness and wrath, unforgiveness, jealousy, hatred, hurt, wounds. People get wounded and they get, fall under the malady of depression. Come on. It's caused by a wound, a spiritual wound. And let me tell you, you can give them all the drugs you want, but until you deal with the spirit that's causing it, they're not going to be healed. They'll be depressed their whole lives. You can give them all the pill bottles that you want. There was a woman in Scripture who had a spirit of infirmity. It was a spiritual thing. Can I have an amen? God is not only out to heal the physical maladies, but he's also out to heal us spiritually. God is out to heal the total man, body, soul, and spirit. But I think all too often we obey in certain degrees and we do not follow through and we're not totally healed. For example, these men obeyed. They were cleansed. By the time all 10 of them got to that priest, he looked them over and said, who told you you had leprosy? 
Well, that man, we've been lepers all of our life, but that man told us to come and show ourselves to you. And as we came, we got better. And by the time we got here, there's no trace of it other than the scars and the things that leprosy done to them. But only one of them returned back to give thanks and praise given to God. You know what that tells me? That the total work was not done in the rest of the nine. Oh, they're cleansed physically. But the very thing that God was trying to do is to get rid of leprosy, sin nature, is the thing of it is the heart was not changed. Only one man's heart was changed. And he came back, fell on his face, and gave glory to God. And Jesus said, was there not nine, uh, ten cleansed? Why are you the only one that's worth talking? Where's the other nine at? Can't speak for them. But all I know, you made me whole. And I come back to give you glory and praise for it. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Nine was cleansed, but one was cleansed and made whole. He followed through in obedience. He went the extra mile. And the thing that God was trying to reveal to him about his sickness, he understood it. Come on. Now, we have preached it, and I believe you can preach it this way, and it'll be all right, is, you know, leprosy eats away at the skin. It takes the nose off, the ears off, and all those kinds of things. And when he was made whole, boom, I believe his nose grew back. I believe his ears came back on. He was made whole. The scars were not there. But it was more than that. The very root of his leprosy, the heart had become circumcised. <laughs> woo that, that man said, hey, 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 I understand my real problem. In this process, I've come to understand it's more than a physical malady. There's a condition in my heart that needs to be dealt with. And therefore, the root of the cause of his leprosy was cut and severed. And he became whole. And there are all kinds of people that get touched and healed and they'll go right back out into sin. There's a man in our church and when he was in, when we was on Ninth and Cedar, and he don't come no more. But that man had one tragedy after another. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable the things that was going on in his life, and I couldn't figure it out. And every time, now I, I, you know, I shouldn't say every time, but the biggest majority of the time, that person would come up to the altar, and we lay our hands upon him, and boom, instantaneously he'd be healed. Healing after healing after healing after healing. And he'd go back out and getting drugs. He'd go back out and getting alcohol. He'd go out and mess around with women. He'd go, and he'd come back with diseases and everything else. And God would heal him. And I'd sit there and think, what in the world when there's good, righteous people here really struggling? But this guy kept coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. And God would heal him. And God was merciful. How many knows it's the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance? Not the severity of God. God loved him and God was trying to draw. But never did that person understand that when he went under those physical maladies, it was God trying to get his attention. You got a problem. Now that ain't always the case. I'm not here to preach that every time there's a sickness on you, you got a sin problem. I'm not saying that, but I'm giving you a variety of ways that God works. I can't preach everything in one sermon. Can I have an Amen. Everybody says, well, why didn't you say this? Well, you want to stay around to two or three o'clock? I'll be glad to. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. 
that somewhere in this body, God is critiquing us to become a monstrous caliber of spiritual faith that will manifest and house the inhabitation of God. God help me. The man comes back, he's made whole. There was spiritual healing there for him. The healing went deeper than just to the flesh of healing of a leprosy, but went down deep to the depth of the man's spirit and soul. The man at the pool of Bethesda, let's go back to him. Man, this blew me away when I looked at it. I thought, well, I've read that a thousand times probably. And I just never paid attention to it. Now, I've wondered why he did give this one scripture, and I won't give it to you in a minute, but I begin to understand it now. The pool of Bethesda was... The man at the pool of Bethesda was confronted by the Jews after his healing. Did you know that? Of course we do. Here he is taking up his bed, taking off. He's walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. And the Jews come by and try to bust his bubble. Isn't that just like the enemy? You get a victory and the next thing you know, someone's telling you you're doing wrong. Trying to put condemnation on you. And it's the church people. For heaven's sake, it ain't the world. It's the church coming down on you. You showed off up there today, didn't you? Trying to embarrass you. I want to tell you, they can say whatever they want, but if God wants snot to sling from my nose and tears come from my eyes and he wants to wallow me around in the floor, here I am, God, let me be a hog for you. I'll waller in your holiness. Can I have an amen? Dear God, we got to get over that kind of stuff. I don't know what made me say those things, but... But here they come, they say, hey, it's the Sabbath day. It ain't lawful for you to be carrying that bed. And I, you know what I'd like to say? Would you rather for him to be laying in it paralyzed or carrying it? I don't understand that. Some people would rather see you paralyzed than you being productive. I, I got to get off of that. That ain't my sermon. But boy, I preach. If I, I may develop a sermon on them thoughts. But here he is carrying his bed and, hey, it's the Sabbath. It's unlawful for you to carry that bed on the Sabbath day. He said, well, the man that made me hold the same said, take up your bed and walk. And that's what I'm doing. And then they said, which man told you to take up your bed and walk? I really never paid attention to this next verse. This is what he says. I don't know who he was. I don't know who he was. Now that, my friend, got my attention. Then the strangest thing happens. Jesus sees him sometimes after that. And verse 14 says, after Jesus finds him in the temple, and he said unto him, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. I got to thinking about that. Why would he tell that man that? He's done being healed. Hours has passed, maybe a day or two has passed. I don't know the length of time. I didn't take time to look that up. The Jews are on him about carrying his bed. He just says, well, the man that told me to take up my bed and walk, he's the one that told me to do it. And here I'm taking up my bed. Well, who told you to do that? And he said, I don't know him. And then Jesus finds him in the temple and begins to say to him, go and sin no more lest a worse thing be come upon you. But it was in the temple that Jesus says, you are whole. Huh. He wasn't whole the first time, but he is now, someday later. 
What's the difference? Is it possible? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to be healed and yet not learn who he is? Oh. Is it possible to yield to the lesser without submitting to the greater? Are you listening? Is it possible to be healed physically but not made whole spiritually? Is it possible to be healed in the flesh but not healed in the spirit and the soul? Is it possible to be free from suffering but not learn the lessons needed due to a lack of obedience or following through? The man at the pool of Bethesda got healed but he wasn't pronounced whole until days or hours later when he's in the temple trying to figure out who this man was. And in the temple somehow, he gets instructions of who it was that made him whole. And upon that knowledge, Jesus says, now you were cleansed at the pool, but now in the temple, you're whole because you come to know who I am. God's not out to only heal you. He's out to make you know who he is. He wants you to know him in the power of his resurrection. Oh, God, hallelujah. Would you, would you stand with me? I gotta quit. <laughs> 